0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Practical Non-Toxic Living by Ruan. This week's episode is all about mold. Today we have Cheryl Seco join us on the podcast to talk all about how she, as an architect, focuses on helping other homeowners and also building professionals prioritize reducing mold exposure and preventing molds as part of the home building process. Um, She also has a lot of really great resources about um, remediation in your home after finding mold as well. So Cheryl's story is super interesting. I'm not going to give it all away, but the little teaser is uh, she became interested in mold exposure as an architect after realizing that a lot of the physical symptoms and health problems that she and her family were experiencing Were due to mold exposure hidden in her home, and you know, as she says, she's like, "I no one was more surprised than me. I'm an architect. I designed this home. You know, it's brand new. We built it, and uh, still there was mold that was having a significant impact on her and her family's health. So she talks a little bit about her healing journey, some of the symptoms associated, and then just lots of really good informational tips about avoiding mold exposure in the home, preventing mold exposure, mold remediation. Um, As you'll hear Sophia say, uh, she recently discovered some mold in her kitchen, so she's kind of going through a a lot of these processes right now. Um, So overall, it's just a really great, interesting episode. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to share your Thoughts, comments, questions with us, you can always reach us at hello at ruanliving.com. R-U-A-N as in non-toxic <laughs> living.com. And you can DM us on Instagram at ruanliving or at practical non-toxic living. So if you haven't noticed, our audio is getting a little bit of an upgrade here at practical non-toxic living. And it's just one of the many ways that we are upgrading non-toxic living for your life (laughs) and our offerings for you guys here in 2023. So I'm going to take a couple of minutes just to plug some of the super exciting things we have going on at Ruan Living. We offer so many different ways to connect with you guys. I mean, our mission here at Ruan Living is really to simplify non-toxic living because Sophia and I, you know, if you've been listening to this for a while or if you've been engaging with our content for a while, you know, Sophia and I both have come to an interest in non-toxic living through different points in our life. Her as a, a new mom wanting to protect her family and just beginning to realize so many of the ingredients and toxic exposures that literally surround us in our modern world. And me coming to that realization as a result of a health scare. Um, and we've been through that journey. It's super isolating. It's so confusing. It's so time consuming. Like, oh my gosh, me in 2019 scrolling Instagram for hours trying to find like what makes sense? What's real? What actually works? What's worth the money? What isn't actually clean? You know, oh my gosh, such a headache. And that's why Sophia's created the Detox Academy for you guys. So Detox Academy is really and truly your one-stop shop membership for non-toxic living. It is the epitome of non-toxic living simplified for you. It's our private membership-based community forum that also gives you access to Sophia's entire non-toxic library of resources. So she has written, oh my gosh, seven pillars and then a ton of bonus content worth of videos, checklists, PDFs product recommendations, non-toxic swap recommendations, informational videos, informational courses that walk you through detoxing every single area of your home. So you can start wherever you want. You want to start with kitchen swaps. You want to start with self-care, bathroom swaps. You want to start with EMF, electromagnetic field and technology detoxing. You can start there. There is so, so much information at your fingertips, not to mention access to the private community forum to connect with us and also others who are in this academy membership working to increase their non-toxic living in their lives as well. And also monthly workshops with Sophia to kind of learn how Sophia applies a lot of these non-toxic products and sort of her methodology into other areas of her life. And also weekly lives with Sophia and I every Thursday at noon Eastern where we break down health and wellness trends, health headlines, different scientific studies that have recently come out Um, because I know when I was first going through this, I would like look at every single news report in fear and feel like I had to understand what was going on but it was so confusing and we break it down for you so you don't have to. You can just get little takeaways and, you know, we'll give you some quick non-toxic tips on how you can avoid your exposure to that or, or what does that mean for the this non-toxic life. So with all of that, I actually cannot believe that we're giving this membership away for only $47 a month. There is so much information in here. It is like, I mean, I can't say it enough. It's really your one-stop shop resource for everything you need to know non-toxic living. You can join now, cancel anytime, and we're just, we can't wait to connect with you guys and start, you know, spreading this word about non-toxic living. So on that note, if you like this episode, if you gain something valuable from it, if you're gaining something valuable from, you know, Sophia and I and what Sophia is sharing online through her blog, through the academy, through this podcast, Share it with a friend, forward the newsletter to a friend, forward this podcast to someone, give us five stars on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Just spread the word. You know, it's the more people we get on board with non toxic living, the faster we can really cause really meaningful change in the world, both for us as human beings and also for our planet in terms of reducing waste reducing chemical contamination just so 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 many different ways in terms of reducing environmental pollution electronic pollution um okay (laughs) i could clearly talk about this forever but i'm gonna stop now and let you enjoy cheryl seco here we go
1: Hi, I'm Sophia Rouen Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and founder of Rouen Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. Okay, Cheryl. Thank you for joining me for the Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast. I have often been asked about mold and whether I have advice on how people can deal with mold in their home. And I have said, I have been lucky to never have needed to learn about mold. So I have no advice for you. And then recently I learned we have a serious mold issue in our country home. And so top of my priority list is diving deep into avoiding mold at home. And I remembered learning about you a few years ago, and I searched that email, learned about so many wonderful resources that you have on your website, avoidingmold.com And I know you have other websites and resources, and you also consult, you're a licensed architect. And so you're just a wealth of invaluable information about avoiding mold at home. And I thought it would be great to start with your personal story with mold. So if you don't mind, if you could start with your, from what I saw on your website, it was your 10-year-old daughter who first started exhibiting symptoms.
2: Yes, and so uh, like many of us in this world of online businesses and online education, we talk about things that happen to us. And for me, it was 18 years ago that I became aware of it. It's not the first time we were exposed to mold. I learned a lot more in my journey to say, well, yeah, actually, there was or or other toxins. And I know you talk about a lot of other toxins. So we have renovated homes. We were exposed to lead paint and lead paint dust. And and I think I grew up with mold in the bedroom that I slept in when I was growing up. So, um, but anyway, when my daughter was 10, she had full-on asthma, inhalers at home and in school. And she had had eczema a lot growing up. I mean, from when she was like two, um, but she started having these migraine headaches and then we were doing CAT scans and it was really crazy. And she couldn't really get out of bed. Um, because of the migraine headaches at age 10. And so um, basically I attribute it to a higher power that I ended up at a CEU program, it's continuing education program for my license as an architect that was mold in commercial buildings. And it was in that presentation that I learned that you could be uh, exposed to mold where you sleep and be sick everywhere you go. And that it wasn't necessarily something where you walked into a space and your eyes would all start running, or you'd feel like you want to sneeze, or you're itchy, um, and then you know to leave that space. That actually does happen, but it's actually more unusual, especially when it's in a place that we sleep, and these problems develop over time. And so that was my first light bulb moment. And the second light bulb moment was when they talked about mold in your ductwork. So we were in a home that we had moved into it was a '50s home. I had inspected it; it didn't have any overt water damage, um, but I didn't think about the ducts. And so I went immediately home, removed the cover plate from the vent, a supply vent, and it was just so filthy. And I do have a course on—I have a course on duct cleaning that uh, goes into with pictures my story, um, and the picture of what I saw when I removed that cover. And I had no idea that you could have mold growing in a metal duct because it's metal, like. Why would you have mold growing in there? Um, but the food source is dirt and dust. So you can actually have mold growing on anything. And on, like, the humidity was probably condensation. So uh, that just started my journey of learning. I hired someone to clean the ducks. Uh, I did a lot of research before I hired them and I called their references and they still turned out to be a scam. Um, I was smart enough to notice that they were keeping me talking in an odd way, and I was trying to see what they were doing and um, finally got the impression they were closing, covering up ducks and saying they were done when they hadn't even done a thing in them. And so I asked someone to, one of the, the guys, two guys to remove the cover. And I just wanted to put my hand down there and feel how clean it was, you know, And and they had used cameras. I don't know if that was a recording originally or what, but I put my hand out there, down there and I pulled out a wad. Of something in a place they were supposedly done. And so I told them they could leave, and that I, I think it was best if they left, and that we were gonna finish this. And they ended up spewing dust all over my house, which is everyone's nightmare that has moldy ducks. Um, that's not normal. Um, they were mad, and um, that's what they did. And so the pictures in my presentation, which is in my education portal under avoidingmold.com. Um, goes through, you know, it was just me having my kid, my kid, my whole, all. I had four kids. My husband traveled, all hands on deck cleaning. Um, I thought only my daughter was affected, but in retrospect, years later, I have come to believe that all my four children at that time were affected. They just had very different symptoms. And and I was affected and my husband was affected as well. So, um, but things like ADD. you know, waking up in the middle of the night with a headache was one, one son, I had a son that was breaking things. And I attributed it to, you know, 14 high school. Is this like what happens when boys start having this rush of testosterone? No, there's a thing called mold rage that causes people to basically, and it's more common in men, but it does happen in women, uh, men and boys that they, it's like a chain, a mood swing a change in personality that's very uncharacteristic for that person and can be very um angry rage um and they usually don't see it so it's it does get something has something to do with your brain about 8 years later 6 8 years later um so anyway we did end up finding somebody to clean it properly and that's who I bring on in that webinar to talk about the proper way to clean ducks and then um but I had to research like, what's the right way to do this? So that was a lot of work, figured it out, hired a person to do it right. It took my daughter about a year to recover, but she went from having inhalers at home and in school and um, really full on asthma to being fine, going on to do pre-professional ballet and you know anything she wanted to do. College became an issue. So this was 18 years ago. She was 10. She's 28 now four years of college. Actually, she went to grad school too. So that was pretty stressful. Um, So it's always been ongoing learning. And since this is what my background was, I had a head start in what I was researching. And so about six, maybe six, eight years ago, my husband and I got Lyme disease. And I was researching how to fix that online on social media, which was very helpful. But I kept finding people who were talking about mold in their homes. And they were talking about things that their doctor told them about their house or um, or what they thought they should do or not do. And I I knew the answers in a lot of cases, or I knew what to recommend. And so I started helping people for free and they just kept coming. So I created a name for myself. People kept coming. I created a Facebook group because I was saying the same things over and over again. I thought, okay, why don't go join this Facebook group, which is, um, still out there. It's avoiding water damage, mold, and toxins. And, um, and so I help people for free there. I created my own website myself, which I am not, I am not a tech whiz. And I mean, I, I didn't even like being on the computer. So I got kicked out of Facebook groups because the way it would pop up was very salesy and you know? I like giving away free information, but I was making blog posts out of the questions and answers that I was answering. And so I was trying to share that so I didn't have to write a whole chat all the time. So that was about six years ago now. And um, that group now has over 5,000 people in it. I went on to um, end up hiring people that I have working with me to help do the tech. We've done a better website. and, And then I do online consulting. And so my story to what I do today is just that it started, I wanted to provide things that were affordable for people and information that was affordable that's not otherwise out there. It's a lot of confusing information out there. And um, the best way for me to do that would be to record things that I was answering for my clients or uh, in social media so that people could access that information anytime, day or night, and very affordably. So so that's kind of how I got here. My husband did recover. He was um, very sick. He was on uh, disability, short-term disability, and couldn't work and um, from the Lyme disease. And we did find that we had mold in our house. So I built my house. I'm an architect. I know what I'm doing. I knew what I was doing at the time, but that doesn't mean other people don't make mistakes. We're all human and anybody can pick up their phone and then go back to work and miss something. And it's really hard to have seen everything. So I can tell you that mine was completely concealed. I only had about three inches um, in the bathroom behind a place that had no plumbing. So um, water travels. So if you do have a leak, it will travel. And it, some mold species can be very little mold and, and have a big effect on, on the body. So the reason we even started looking at that was that my husband's blood test. And then my blood testing was showing that uh, changes that suggested some sort of toxin, and probably mold. And so then we had to look around our house that we built, that I built, and say, okay, well, what could it be? It took, that took me about six months. I'll, I'll be honest. And I hired a lot of people who um, didn't find anything. So then I came to the conclusion that I knew more than they did, and I need to figure it out myself because it's my house. I built it, and I can research this stuff. And um, bought tools and equipment. They talk about those on my um, on my videos. I'm on Instagram at Cheryl Seco Architect and at my public Facebook page, Cheryl Seco Architect, YouTube, Cheryl Seco Architect. And so I do a lot for free. And then I also have those online education courses for people that are more robust. And I run an online subscription community because the Facebook group has gotten so big that um, for people who would like to subscribe to that, I have 70, I do a masterclass I have been doing a masterclass every month and other videos We're up to about 70 videos in there. And I try to focus my Q and A's in there. I do live Q and A once a month there. Great. And And we'll uh, share
1: all these resources.
2: Yeah. So that's who I am. And that's what I do. Um, I was a designer originally. I never envisioned being in an online business. I never envisioned. um, I, I did work for the wood industry for five years. So, there I did bring in the store, my moisture. I specialized in moisture and durability and also sustainability, which is related and fire um, also somewhat related. And um, so, it's, so it kept like life kept pointing me in the direction of maybe, you know, I learned how to do education to my peers there. So I, I did uh, technical support from my peers, architects, structural engineers, and code officials, very, very smart group. and um, And so I did a lot of research for that. And then I, you know, I, people would ask me questions like, I don't know, I better go look that up. And so over the years, I did that for five years, over the years, you just start to amass a lot of knowledge. And then it's become, how can I share what I know and what's happened to me? And we've been blessed to recover and do very well. So,
1: well, if you don't mind, you've said so much that I'd love to unpack a little more. So you mentioned earlier that, um, a lot of, pe- did you say a lot of people or not that many people are exposed to mold in their sleep?
2: More people than realize it. So the
1: health effects are so, so it's an immune um,
2: system burden. So it's also an endocrine disruptor. I'm not a health practitioner, but I, but anything that's going to depress your immune system so that you can't fight off of other, other things becomes a problem. Plus, if your body can only work on removing this one toxin, if there's other things that could go on because of your DNA predisposition, for instance, so people who have autoimmune diseases, it might be Alzheimer's, it might be MS, it might be um, lupus. I had lupus uh, and Sjogren syndrome. Um, Graves' disease is my husband had. So what's what your Weak link is going to be that now that your immune system is depressed or messed up because of this disruption, that that your symptoms will be different. Um, My children had different, like I said, different symptoms. Um, Migraine headaches, insomnia can be symptoms, rashes, unknown rashes are just kind of random. Uh, What are some of the other ones? Inability to think straight, brain fog. I've had times where I walked out into the parking lot and thought, I don't know where I parked my car. This is not like me. I'm a very visual person. I always see things. And, or you're in the car driving, you don't know where you're going. Like, why am I in my, you know? So stuff like that um, are all possible. And because it's such diverse symptoms, it's hard to connect it to, could this be a factor? So it's not often the only factor, but in Lyme disease in particular, people don't get better regularly from Lyme if they have a burden like mold in their home. And so doctors are recognizing that treat Lyme, that they got to address this external burden so that the other things they do will work. And it's not that different than food, the things that you talk about, plastics and other toxins, it's our bucket gets full of so many toxins. And it's just a matter of time of when will this person's bucket overflow? And small children and the elderly are most severely affected. Children I find can bounce back faster than some of us that maybe have a lot more history. I didn't know a thing about eating organic food until, you know, and I, and so, um, and the things that I fed my children back in the day that I cringe at now, you know, so whether it's food coloring or sugar or, you know, those kind of things. So I think that you guys, you're blessed. Your your audience is blessed with the knowledge that you're sharing um, to be able to, to address it sooner rather than later. But um, the health symptoms are really diverse, and so if there's the inability to concentrate at school for kids, hyperactivity, I mean, all those things, this would be something to just just rule it out.
1: Yeah. I often say that health outcomes result from a wide range of contributing factors, everything from your diet, your sleep quality, your stress levels, your toxic exposures. And and now I'm learning more about mold, but, and we have unique vulnerabilities, generally speaking, children, the elderly, those with compromised immune systems, are most vulnerable. But um, I agree with everything you said. It was, and while I know from what I study that the symptoms of toxic exposures vary by people's unique vulnerabilities, it I, I didn't really know how mold affects people. So it's great to hear all the symptoms you mentioned that were exhibited. I mean, even within one family, it's interesting to think about because you all live in the same space. You probably have very similar diets and other similar contributing factors to health outcomes. And then to have different symptoms of mold exposure is, is good to be aware of. So would you talk about the recovery process? What did you what were the steps taken to recover? And I'm also really interested, you built your home. What do you wish, like, what were you mindful of when building your home to minimize mold growth? And what do you wish you did differently or knew sooner?
2: Okay. So there's three questions. What was the first one again? Was...
1: We revisit that later, which is the steps taken to recover from okay. So let's put
2: that one aside for right now. Um, on building my home, what did I do? So I already knew my daughter was sensitive. I didn't know the other kids were um at the time when I built. I also knew that she was also allergic to dust. And what became apparent to me is that mold lives on dirt and dust. That's why it was living in the ductwork. And dust floats around in the air. And if anybody goes and does a search on what dust is, it's disgusting. So made from dust mites, fecal matter, dead skin cells, hair cells, you know, all kinds of stuff that's pretty disgusting. So I started um, focusing my design and what we're going to do on being dust free, being as dust free as possible and controlling humidity. Because when you come down to why do you have mold, it's from moisture. It's not only just the materials and we did have a wood home and I would do it again, even though wood supports mold growth, because you know, it, once I knew it was on dirt and dust and we had it in our ducks, it doesn't matter. We were in a solid masonry home. <laughs> it didn't matter. So I've, and moisture can come from many different forces. So I have a, a course called moisture basics, which is a mini course where I, um, I talk about all the different ways moisture can get into our homes. And I go through about more than 25 defects with pictures of, of how this happens, but it can just be from water vapor in the air that is condensing somewhere. So think about your glass of ice water on your picnic table in the summer and how much water can be on, in the puddle around that glass. This can happen in our, our building enclosure. So, um, so in terms of what we did, we, I, we had radiant heat because it's not blowing air around. We had hardwood floors and tile everywhere. I had no wall-to-wall carpeting. We did not finish our basement. Um, We never finished it. Actually, we sold the house last year and um, that had been about 14 years. We had never finished it. We did use it, but, um, but I wanted to be able to see it for the first couple of years and make sure that we weren't gonna have any leaks, that everything was working the way that I had intended. I did pull the basement out of the ground. So we had daylight windows in what was really called a lower level. So I picked up the foundation. Um, I made sure I had good hills, slopes away from my house so that water wouldn't pool right against the foundation. I built with big overhangs so that that's kind of an umbrella over your home. So that if somebody did mess up a window somewhere in the in terms of waterproofing, I still had another another protection. And that was my, the overhangs of my home. And so I do a lot of things that are belts and suspenders. You can hold up your pants with your belt. You can hold them up with the suspenders. If you got both, your pants will never fall down. So I big roof overhangs, good attention to detail on window and door openings, sloping the side away. Um, not, I, we did have air conditioning. So we, that's like the only way to cool. So you did blow air. We did blow around with air conditioning, and um, But I could clean. Without carpeting, I could clean every nook and cranny. And that could help to keep dust down. And now, going forward to your question of our recovery, when my daughter was really sick, we created a safe place in her room and focused on being dust-free. So uh, it was hardwood floors. So we just got rid of any area rugs except for bathroom kind of throw rugs that I could put in the washing machine. All the clothes in the closet went in garment bags that I could dust. Uh, Clothes, on the anything on the shelves went into bins I could dust. We um, did wash her sheets once a week, but she was the only one that got weekly sheet washing. And everything on her bed was washable. Uh, She had one pillow. All the books went out of the room. Books are something that harbor a lot of mold spores. So she's a big reader and she shared with her brother, but all those went out of the room. Stuffed animals, like maybe you could have one. The books lived somewhere else. If she wanted to bring one in, that's one book, not the whole bookshelf. So reducing clutter, it was, very, and we, run, we did run an air purifier in there with the door closed, um, which is important because air purifiers are sized to a certain size room and it's about air changes per hour. And if you just are running them in a massive space, you may not get that. Air changes per hour. So that was part of our recovery and and our recovery for her was creating in the house we were in, once we got the ducks cleaned, creating a safe room, as safe as we could do in a 1950s house. Um, and then be opening windows, airing out whenever we usually, that's how we live outside. There's mold outside. Um, but the wind's blowing it around and it's, there's big atmosphere to dilute it. So, um, so we sensitive
1: to outdoor allergens.
2: Oh yeah. They were playing in the, in the, in the leaves and whoa, she got a rash and she, but it was still pretty worth
1: it to keep the windows open.
2: Um, yes. Well, okay. So you pay attention. If there's forest fires outside, you close your windows. We, she lives in California. Now we had to fly her to Chicago where I was living, which is not necessarily good air quality. Um, during the forest fires in California because she couldn't breathe and she was starting to feel very afraid of her, how she was feeling. So forest fire smoke in particular is extremely toxic. What's the things besides the trees that are burning is very toxic. Same thing would be, um, I mean, yes, if there's like some high ozone alert or particularly high mold, uh, mold counts, I don't open windows of humidity. I monitor humidity. So that would be another thing that I, Would recommend for people is to know what their humidity is in their home, know what it is room by room and keep an eye on it and compare it to outside. And so it could be 70 degrees outside. And my husband would say, let's open all the windows. And my question was always, what's the humidity? So do you You want it under 50% to prevent? uh, Inside your home, you want it under 50%. I would open the windows if it was under 70 outside. If it was 8590 you know so it just rained and it's really cool now and be like no we're not opening any windows cuz so i don't want to bring in that humidity until it drops outside so um but really it's like understanding your body you you start to understand that my house is typically this uh some people in the summer 55 is as good as they're going to get in south florida for instance it's very very humid outside and so I think I would go to 55. If you're starting to get to 60, 65, and that's the lowest humidity that you can get with your uh, heating or cooling system, heating seasons, it should be much easier. Anybody who needs to run a dehumidifier during heat season has another problem somewhere because heat is very drying. Forced air heat is especially drying. Uh, so there's gotta be a reason. There has to be a source. So um in, South Florida and the Carolinas and Texas, where the humidity can be really high, um, it's it's a bit more of a challenge, but they have other challenges with their foundation systems and their site drainage. And so it's it's all a system. And, and that's unfortunately why it, this problem isn't going away, because it's complicated. It's complicated by site. It's complicated by climate, complicated by season, construction type of the building, and then how we use it. You know, so we should be running exhaust fans and they should be vented outside directly in a shower. Uh, I had four kids that I raised. No one was allowed to keep their towels in the bathroom after they showered. They all had hooks on the backs of their doors. That way it was, you know, one or two towels in a much bigger space that didn't just have a shower happening in it. So it was easy as opposed to having four wet towels lined up in a tiny bathroom that just had water running in the shower. So that's a big burden. Uh, garages, uh, we drive in our garages with wet cars. Snow on the car that's going to melt and drip down. Run a dehumidifier in your garage. Obviously, when the door is open, turn it off. But when the car is sitting in there, we got to get that humidity out of the air because garages are usually not heated and cooled, at least not well. And, and that's going to be a lot of humidity that gets soaked into the drywall, and ultimately, there's a lot of moldy garages, even
1: attached. So I imagine there's mold in every home, but there's <laughs> things we can do to reduce it or kill it. Is that? Do you agree with that? Well, I do agree that it's
2: way more prevalent than people realize. I do believe that more people are affected. Some of the numbers that get thrown around by people who talk about this are like 25%. And I mean, I already know my my whole family was a hundred percent and and my extended family is more than it can, you know is keeping that going. Um, in terms of what was your question again? I just lost my train of thought.
1: I imagine um, that mold oh, everywhere. But if we clean regularly, I mean, if we're perfect about it, like we clean regularly, we don't have much clutter. Um, we manage humidity, then we can maybe keep the mold levels or mold spores down to such a level that it doesn't really impact us if we're a healthy person. Do you agree with that? And you were saying it's more prevalent than most people realize. Right, right. So I do think it's everywhere.
2: People, I help people find homes and review their do second opinions on building reviews, and it's. It, I'm renting a house because we couldn't find one to live in when we sold our house. And that's me. Um, So it's very, very prevalent. Everybody's DNA is different. It depends on what the cause is of the mold. So the people that have mold that are due to an an issue or an event. So say it was a, a roof leak and they fixed it, but they never cleaned up or dried up where the water went. That water is trapped and will continue to grow mold. Um, showers and bathrooms, showers in particular, tub surrounds are a very high source of mold in our homes, even in new construction. And those just get worse and worse. So there can be a point where you're doing fine. Everything you're doing is fine. And then, and then the mold is reproducing it, you know, thousands of mold spores a day. If they are being fed, the same thing could be true of, it could be a deck attachment. It could be poor window flashing, um, this stuff with flooding in the, in those hurricane zones. I'm going to be in Florida in November. We're going to see what's going on down there. I uh, have relatives there trapping moisture after something's been done. Like, so they got rid of everything. Great. They got rid of their furniture. They got rid of carpeting. They got rid of the drywall. Somebody actually really needs to moisture map the structure, especially when it's wood um, to make sure that it's dry enough. So dry is a number, and most people are just saying, it feels dry, it's good, when it's actually not technically dry enough. And what happens is over that stuff gets covered up, that was wet and still needs to dry, and in five, seven years, they'll become my clients. And because the moisture kept drying, but now we trapped it behind finishes. So... so- it's a, it's, it's a difficult problem. (laughs) Um, but yes, I think if you eat well, so in my daughter's case, she's lived in apartments that were very moldy against my better judgment and advice. And she knows that she has to eat organic food. She has to eat a lot of salads. She has to go running. She has to move her lymph and then, but then she knows sometimes if she has a piece of pizza or she drinks alcohol that her rashes will come up, and she knows why, but she can manage it for now. You know, I did. My husband and I both are very affected by it now, and we're like mood rings, and we go into houses even to look at them. But when you think of all the things we did growing up, and you know, so we're we're in our later years, um, kids are grown. and we got through like till so we were fifty fine
1: and not necessarily eating the best food so um so i let's take a case study my home (laughs) so it has had leaks for years nobody could identify the sources of the leaks and recently we started ripping open walls and floors and we've identified three different sources of leaks and there's probably still more sources of leaks we're not we haven't been able to identify yet and I have like an insurance agent going tomorrow with an hygienist someone he calls a hygienist to learn more and I'm just wondering what are the key things I should be aware of to make sure that my team is properly addressing mold? Because you hired someone, and I'm curious, the person you hired, was that like a licensed or certified professional? Like, how do I know that the work quality is good enough? So I hired a lot of people
2: that told me I didn't have a problem or that my problem was not significant, and I didn't agree with them. So in terms of remediation, I did hire people to do remediation on on two occasions. And I can tell you that I researched extensively what they were supposed to be doing so that I watched it. And and I do have a a webinar. Actually, it's part of a mold bundle, mold experts bundle on um, remediation cleaning. And so it's about cleaning and removing the mold. It's not about killing it. So when someone's coming, oh, we're going to disinfect and we're going to put mold killer. We're going to uh, don't do any coatings. Don't let them coat anything because that can trap moisture. Looks really nice, like everything's white now. Oh, great! They have no liability, and if you read the warranties on those products, and I do recommend that read the ingredients, read the warranties. Um, there is no. It's only warranted if it doesn't if it's on a clean surface. Then why do you have to coat it? Um, and on a dry surface. Again, you know, if that's something we should be measuring, I'd be asking, so it probably is an industrial hygienist who's coming. Um, so I, what I do in my consulting is I add, it's kind of like if you have brain surgery and you get a bunch of different opinions from people, you know, or a complicated health issue, and you talk to the gastroenterologist and you talk to the cardiologist and you talk to the lung doctor, I'm the one who specializes in how buildings are built and and how what how they are proper to be built and what goes wrong with them. And so I can be part of the team to help guide people. And I often, I always, I've, I've done second opinions on mold results, mold test inspections and building inspections, and I always can see something else. But it's a very specific lane that I'm in. Um, if it's going to come down to talking about, different, you know, that looking at my, what the mold looks like under the microscope, I don't know. I don't look at that. But I, I don't care. I'm looking for water damage that causes mold. And if you can get rid of the moisture and the mold can be cleaned in most cases, but it will get into the air. So you want to encapsulate. There's a, so for you, I would say, if anybody's opening anything else up, that you want to put up some kind of containment, turn off your HVAC system. I'm always cautious about opening things up because it can be a can of worms. And, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not already all over your house. So, uh, we're looking for the cause, the root cause. So someone can, so we always have to fix, okay, it came from, so people say, oh, my foundation's cracked. It's leaking through the crack. Well, why is the foundation cracked? There actually is a reason for that. It didn't crack on its own. It's usually a downspout dumping in that spot or what we call differential wetting. Um, It could be from gutters overflowing. It could just be from settlement to the new building along or over a year, over the years, the ground settles in one spot. And then that becomes a puddle. We don't, we don't walk around our homes in the rain. So in terms of the people that are coming, I would just say your, your goal is to clean and remove. You don't, I wouldn't, you, you would like someone to do moisture map. So if I'd be asking, so do you have moisture meters? What kind? Do you, um, will you be able to give me the numbers? <laughs> Of what my moisture content is in different materials, so wood has a different scale than drywall, um, and so we want to know if someone says, "Oh yeah, that's dry. It should be fine. We can just clean that off." I am always asking how dry, because my definition of dry, from my experience working for the wood industry in particular, is different than every <laughs> than most people's that are in the in, that are doing kind of this kinds of remediation, unless they're following me and they've. Um, or other people like me that talk about moisture content in wood, but there's a there's an, there's a number that your house, if it's got wood structure in any in any part of it, has settled to, and it's going to depend on your climate and your in the season, and so indoors. This is all published by the Forest Products Lab. So there's a book called the Wood Handbook. It's available for free online. Our tax dollars paid for it, and there's a section on wood and moisture, and you can read all about that but 100 saturated is 29 it's not 100 for what um mold grows at 20 our kiln dried lumber is coming out of the kiln drying process at 19 mold grows at 20 and our meters could be off by three percent as much as three percent
1: meters that are like user friendly for everyday people, or do you need a professional to understand the mold or the moisture levels in your wood? No, you can, anybody can
2: do this. And I have videos that I talk about this on. So there's, there's some free videos on how I test tile. Um, that's a $40 meter that I've, I'm on my second one. Cause it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not that great a piece of equipment, but it is how I found the mold in my shower. So even as a cheap product, if it's always showing a higher moisture content in one place, you test over several days. So even if it's making a mistake, it's not going to make the same mistake in the same place every day. That makes no sense. And it kept saying, beep, 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 89% right here. And so that's what prompted me to remove a tile and look. Um, And so that's you can buy that on Amazon. I have on my website a list of tools that you can go to those links and you can see the tools that I use. My wood moisture meter is more robust. I have one that costs about $400 and I, it's, it's the same meter I've had for 16, 17 years and I would buy it again. It's American made and the technology is pretty much the same, but I have different scales. So you want to have a meter that has different scales, whatever kind of meter you have, so that you can set it to be drywall because that's going to be a different measurement scale. Drywall should be in the single digits below 5. Um wood actually hardwood and softwood have different scales. So hardwood is like your finished wood, um wood trim. Uh softwood is usually your lumber framing. Um, even if people go in deep, the species have different numbers. Concrete you're just you're just kind of it's always storing a lot of moisture. So it's Kind of completely different.
1: Does mold grow in concrete? Probably.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, 100%. Okay, so it's it sounds like okay, the goal is to clean and remove mold, understand the reasons for the sources of the water damage, make sure your professionals are measuring the humidity and these different materials in your home, but it sounds like it's also good for the homeowner to have these meters to check, like verify what their professionals. Yeah. You're going to be the one
2: that's going to spend way more time looking at every single detail. And so for the, the one meter I recommend is $40 on Amazon, the, even the $400 meter um, or one of that caliber in the scheme of things and what we pay for healthcare own one. Yeah, learn how to use it. Um and then because once the the guy whoever's coming to inspect they're going to come for an hour, two hours, maybe you'll pay thousands of dollars and they'll come for four or six. But we can be looking all the time. And we can and same thing even humidity monitors. I just get I have a bunch of the little ones, I don't know if there's any around here. They're like 10-15 and I have four of them and I move them around to different rooms. And if your bathroom, so what also prompted me to look at my bathroom was that my bathroom had 70% relative humidity in the air and the rest of the house was 30. And so, okay, there's a reason for that. What, is, it doesn't make any sense. And so that kind of prompted the research, but anomalies, we're looking for anomalies, look for things that look different. Look at your home after it rains. My consulting, I do with pictures a lot. I do occasionally go on-site but I get sick, so I don't really want to go on site. And I can see way more clients remotely. I did this before COVID. And what's interesting about photographs is take photographs with your phone of your house on all sides, and then upload them to your computer, which is what I do when I consult with clients and we're going over them together. But you freeze moments in time where you can then zoom in. Don't reduce the resolution. And you can say, wow, that is interesting. Under that downspout, there's like this dark... It looks a little darker there than everywhere else, you know, or something like that, or um, staining under a window that looks different than somewhere else. Some of this will happen only right after it rains. So, after it rains, get around, take pictures so that you can see whoa, look at it in these corners of just this one window. It's really dark here. That's water that's gonna dry to the inside because the inside's always drier than the outside. And so, maybe something that you should be addressing. But the moisture basics course that I have is about 90 minutes of content of pictures of all this stuff of what to look for with my goal to teach people how to inspect their own homes. And just like in healthcare or what you do in sharing, you know, figuring out what's in this glassware, what's this plasticware made out of that I'm drinking water out of. um, We have to be our own advocates and we have to educate ourselves as much as possible And then find the people that can, that may know a little more than we do when we need support. And that's my mission is to share that education and help people the next level. Uh, But to empower people to to do this themselves, because in the end, to get people to do good work, um, even remediators, there's some that, uh, you know, they don't require even certification in many states, much less any certain education. So, We, for us to know if they're good, we have to know some things just like the duck cleaning. Um, and so taking, so that's what my goal has been is to provide the background information for someone to any time day or night, watch a video on duck cleaning, watch a video on remediation. There's, I have one on moisture meters, um, and, and then get, so you, you're educated enough to be a smart consumer.
1: So for what are the key areas that a smart consumer should learn about to make sure their team is managing the mold well? We talked about learning about um, you can use meters to understand humidity levels and the different materials in your home. You want to make sure the person, the team has cleaned the ductwork, probably measured air quality. What are other like pillars of knowledge that someone should, like a check, if there's a checklist of things for someone like me to assess a remediation team, what else should I know?
2: Well, know that none of it's 100% figured out. So when somebody comes, like say, for instance, you mentioned air testing, that can be wrong. It can miss stuff. It's a screening test. It's not that different than some blood tests where you could be looking for a double-stranded DNA, and just because you didn't find it doesn't mean you don't have it. You might find it another day.
1: How do you test for mold? Is it both air and taking sam- physical samples of mold you see? Well, if you see mold,
2: I wouldn't bother taking air samples. I would just test the mold you see. Save your money. Um, there's another one called dust sampling, which is, um, ERMI is, is a common name for that. The problem with those tests is that they don't tell you where to look for something, but what your problem is. It might tell you, I definitely, if you find mold in an air test or dust sampling, totally believe it, but But if if
1: you 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 don't find it, you you might still have it. Yeah. And you can, if you see mold, don't even bother with air and dust. I I wouldn't because it's like right there
2: (laughs) (laughs) test that. It doesn't mean you don't have it somewhere else, but save your money and put it towards other kinds of investigation and possibly fixing. So what we have is we often have people come in and they do remediation and they, and oftentimes their mediators be like, well, I'm not exactly sure why this happened. It could be this, it could be that. And they clean, clean, clean. But the minute they leave, if the real cause isn't corrected, then it will come back. And so getting to the root cause and saying, you know, it's not just like, oh, my humidity is always this high. It's just normal. It's not normal. Um, bathrooms and shower surrounds are often detailed incorrectly. And I've quite a few, I have several clients that are doctors that had, they looked beautiful. They had their bathroom redone, but the shower pan wasn't um, detailed correctly. and became a cesspool holding water instead of allowing water to drain into the drain. You can't really see that. But a moisture meter would pick it up. My40 dollar moisture meter would would pick it up, the one that I use. So I would say the other thing is to have confidence in yourself. if your gut instinct is that what somebody told you is may not be right. If anybody is ever questioning that you might know something more than they, you know, whenever somebody's diminishing another person, that's a red flag for me all the time. We want to hire people that are open to what we know. Um, I've had clients who could walk in a building and say, there's something around my kitchen island. I don't know. I just feel like I feel something around the kitchen island in my brand new home. So, and I can, and I've, we found stuff in every case that one of my clients has said that where other people have said, oh, you're just crazy or you're, you're too hyper, you know, you're thinking about it too much. We have found something.
1: So if you see mold in your kitchen island, let's say it's in the wood or behind a drywall, what's a logical assumption or other next steps you should pursue to see how pervasive the mold is?
2: Well, I would wanna know if the wood is wet, you know, what the if it's on wood, um, if it's on other materials. I mean, generally I would tell people to clean it. The same thing in your shower. Um, I use non-toxic cleaners.
1: Yeah, it can quickly grow.
2: Yeah. Well, it's gonna grow with moisture and humidity. So knowing it's it's a bit like being a detective, where we say, okay, we have this, we have this. The humidity is fine. The um, the moisture in the wood is fine. And that starts to tell me that something that happened long ago and that it's possible that it's dead mold. It doesn't, dead mold is as toxic as live mold. That's why I was saying that we have to remove mold. We don't want to just kill it and leave it there. We want to remove it. Um, Mold fungus is a kind of a weird species that it can be dead. And then all of a sudden come back to life with the next water event or high humidity. So um, we want to remove it. And um, so does that answer your question?
1: It does. It does. So, okay. So like, um, like a 101, like a basic mold inspection means like visibly look out for wet areas, investigate the sources of the water damage, look for stains, look for discoloration, know that any mold dead or alive is a hazard. So you want it removed check your duct work and um, look into the, these meters. And I'll share the, the website you have that lists the tools that you use. And of course, all the courses that you have as well. And I think we didn't talk about what mold looks like because I think <laughs> it's more than one color, right?
2: Yeah. So one thing I would add to your list is use a flashlight. Don't use your phone. Get a, you know, a camping old fashioned flashlight and the inside of your house, and look around at your ceiling. Look around at the wall to where the wall meets the ceiling. Um, Look around under plumbing with a flashlight, because the lights in our rooms are creating some shadows and casts that can cause us to miss things. And so you talked about stains, and we're looking for anomalies. Anything that doesn't look like something else. Like, why is the drywall sparkly here? Why is there powder on the drywall here? or plaster. Those are all signs of water, very early signs. But, um, in some cases you won't see the very slight stain unless you have a flashlight shining on it. So, um, and then in terms of your, your, your question then was about the, how, what we do to clean it. Is
1: it? No, I mean, that probably should be for <laughs> cleaning it. Right. Um, why don't we talk about the Steps take So, you know, you'd hire professionals to remove mold and, and do more proper testing, come up with a remediation plan. Once you've done that, how did you and your family recover from the mold toxicity? I think you mentioned, okay, eating, you tell your daughter to eat organic, probably sleep well. Yeah. Eyes outside, get fresh air.
2: Yeah. Um, I know there's other things, anything that, like coffee is, is a, um, stimulant. That's actually not good for people that are mold in it too. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of nuts. So people with kids, any kind of, you know, roasted peanut butters, unless you're going to roast it yourself, one, you know, the saying one bad apple spoils the batch. Think about apple juice and they're making the big, you know, if there was one bad apple in there, uh, the whole apple juice could be tainted. So most of us that are are sensitive to mold Will become less sensitive if we're not sleeping in it. But when we're in that hypersensitive stage, we want to be careful of all those things that include grains, because grains—think about how they get shipped and stored in big, you know, container trucks and vats—and um, and so grains, um, nuts, especially roasted and um, and nut butters that come from those. Anything um, processed and chemical written, you look at your toothpaste. I'm sure you'd probably talk about some of that, the food coloring and things. And what's well, actually, I make my own shampoo, even. Um, soaps uh, and avoiding dust. So carpeting is usually, if you can, my, in my daughter's case, she was able to remove carpeting in her apartment that she lived in. It was not well-maintained and it was pretty junky carpeting and and the landlord didn't care if she was going to do it. So the In My Mold uh, Expert Bundle is a PowerPoint she made and she's in it um, of how she and my 85-year-old father pulled up the carpeting in her apartment. Um, It's not hard, but you do want to take precautions. But carpeting in particular stores a lot of dirt and dust and since mold's living on that is not likely to be a good thing to have around. So our recovery has all been focusing on basically removing toxins anywhere we can find it, which is why I love what you do, because that included plastic where I drink, I had a heavy metal exposure. And so I can't even drink out of stainless steel, um, because stainless steel has nickel in it and I'm allergic to nickel. So my earrings are nickel free and like you'll see, these are the only earrings I usually wear because I don't have that many that are nickel free. My watch is bamboo because there's no metal on the back. So I was drinking out of stainless steel water bottles, and it and it became a problem for me because I was drinking a lot, smoothies and everything. And so the metal in there was contributing. The nickel in there was contributing. And over time, I became more sensitive. So it's just looking around you and being as clean. As possible, fire retardants. Fire retardants are in our sofas and our furniture and our bedding. I, we have a mattress that I bought custom that doesn't have fire retardants in it. Um, EMFs, electromagnetic fields. You know, our cell phones, our earbuds that are are you know wireless. What are those doing? They're living near a cell tower and high tension wires. There's so many things on this planet these days that we have to be.
1: So the more unburden our bodies, the more resilient they can be.
2: Yeah, so my goal is always just remove any burden you can. And there's always gonna be some that we can't, you know, that are gonna be difficult to remove for whatever reason, but we do the best we can. Um, Ventilating, we do. I do use essential oils and there is someone that I, is my mentor, his name is Dr. Edward Close who is, I believe, 87 or 88 now, Um, he's an industrial hygienist and did remediation work. And his wife, who since passed, was an aromatherapist. And that's how they um, had, he had a project he couldn't get clearance on. And so they started researching that. So that's a natural um, solution. But the protocol is very specific. And it's not something for people to breathe um, on the. It's very intense and, but there are just like, there's plants that just don't support mold growth, And so in sustainable farming, you could plant a row of a certain flower that the pests don't like, and then you plant the crop and then you keep the pests away. So mold can be the same way where there's other tools that, that I use and have researched for natural ways to keep things in check, but find the big burdens though.
1: And what is, how do you spell the name of that industrial hygienist? Well, his name is Dr. Edward Close,
2: C-O-L-S-E. He's a PhD
1: scientist and a
2: professional engineer. He's not really doing this work anymore. Um, I do it. So he helped me for free when when I um, purchased products under his wife. And so for people who, who want to try that, and but there's cleaner and um, it's called Thieves. You may have heard of, people may have heard of it. Uh, it's through Young Living And, um, and that product line in particular has been, has been very helpful for me and my family. And then, but it, there's a right and wrong way to do it. People are like, Oh, make my own. (laughs) I mean, the cleaner you want to use cleaners, you want to use as little water as possible. Mold likes water. We want to clean with as little water as possible. And the beauty of something that has an essential oil base is that the oil actually soaks in a little bit. Water is going to evaporate right away. Um, that's the reason we don't use bleach. Um, bleach is very toxic. Uh, it does kill mold on this mold it touches, but it evaporates very quickly and it's 97% water. So if we drench a concrete wall with bleach, which is what a lot of people will be suggesting, like say in a flood place, the water is soaking in the bleach is evaporating out, creating toxic air. And the mold spores are flying around, they don't care about the bleach evaporating and they're just looking for a wet place to land again. And we just dumped a bunch of
1: water. Is hydrogen peroxide better?
2: I think it's similar in that it's diluted with a lot of water. So, um, I, I mean, I think it does, the same thing with bleach. I think it does have an effect on, on mold. It's a question of what are we doing with it and, and how much water are we adding? To the situation, I'm not 100 sure on if the hydrogen peroxide. I think it's similar that it evaporates, but I don't know. That's that's it
1: out of my my realm of expertise. It's toxic to humans, but it probably still has that water issue.
2: Yeah, and so on PubMed, there's a lot of articles people can research themselves. Is what I did, and so in that actually in the mold expert bundle. I have a webinar there on the science of essential uh, science of plant-based solutions. is actually what it's called. And I, ha- I share all my research because I, I don't talk about stuff unless i researched it a lot. Um, and, um, and you can put in PubMed um, antifungal and you can put in hydrogen peroxide. You can put in essential oils um, and articles will come up of what they're testing and what was the pros and the cons and how did they work? Um, Essential oils are used a lot in food processing um, and food shipping. So that's been going on for a very long time. But it's not just like the essential oils you buy at the grocery store or the, you know, the big box store somewhere. Because what's happened is when there seems to be money in something, then a lot of manufacturers make similar products to what was really a very pure product. And it's expensive for a reason product um and so they you like for essential oils well i use i do use young living um i've heard good things about some other ones um doTERRA and um i think melaleuca is another one that i know of just know that they're buying a lot of the smaller companies are buying from a um if they don't have their own farms and they're not distilling it themselves they're buying it from kind of a marketplace and and they're all buying it kind of from the same marketplace and so there's it's, it's tricky. Um, cause they might be diluting it with them. Yeah. So I use oils that are designated food grade, um, which means there's a different standard for labeling for food grade than there is for cosmetic grade. And you probably, um, know some of that, but, uh, so if it's food grade, not that you should be in- eating it, Um, but you inhaling it and having it touch your skin is not that different than eating it. So, um, it's just a higher standard of testing and processing that I'm hopeful. Um, and the research suggests helps get to the point where it is actually pure as opposed to the word says pure, but it's not really, there's other additives. And we see that in, in food too, even organic labeling sometimes and back to even what you eat. So if, if, um, I was talking about grains could have mold in them if the animals eat those grains that are moldy, like the, um, chickens or the, 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 um, cows, then that can get, to, we are what we eat. So I have found that I react, um, to certain meats if they're not grass fed or pasture raised, um, and based on what those animals ate. So that's another wrinkle <laughs> to add.
1: Yeah. So it all points back to practical, non-toxic living, getting to know what you're putting in your body, on your body, inviting into your home. And, um, you know, you this has been full of such helpful information. As we wrap up, how would you like to summarize like the top three to five tips someone should keep in mind if they're concerned about mold? Well,
2: the first one I would say is don't panic. But the second one is start educating yourself. Um, so you talked about hiring people that know things. I honestly, I found more people that didn't know things than did. And that it was important that I use my own brain. So I recommend we, we, we don't do that enough. So number two would be start doing your own education. Don't be afraid to question anybody on anything. And if there's a, if they know what they're talking about, they'll have a way to show you that fit, you know, this has been researched. And, uh, but be careful with marketing because people can market anything to mean anything. Um, you know, you can, it, it, they can tell a story on these, some of these really expensive air purifiers. So um, just do your research and know that there's two sides of every story. Um, three would be measure your humidity. In your home and get to know your humidity it's not unlike knowing how your body feels Measure taking your temperature maybe or your blood pressure and just knowing what's normal for you uh third would be checking your home with a flashlight um indoors outside look after it rains and possibly take my moisture basics course to look for all those defects and see if you have them if you can see them in your own house um sometimes it's a matter of it's not calling a remediator it's a calling a roofer or the gutter, a gutter professional. Those people often give you free, free bids. So get a couple opinions and you'll start to, when you're educated, you'll start to know who knows what they're talking about. So that was four and number, I think that's four. And number five would be hmm, maybe just remove toxins everywhere while you're trying to figure this out. Um, and check out my website. And what I do, I do do individual consulting. It's, I think it works best. It's more, most affordable for people. If they do some of their own education, take some of my recorded courses, but I do do individual consulting. I come on with teams who are building. I come on with people who are remediating. And and when you hire people, always be asking, are you open to other people's opinions. Like if I were to bring in another expert, are you open to that? Um, Because that's, that's really where we end up the most success. So if you're doing brain surgery, you want to have a team that everybody respects everyone else. And, and that um, it's complicated. And so knowing that buildings are complicated and um, bringing on a team, and I'm certainly someone who can be on that team and can help you with your house Um, be a second opinion um, or be involved in for anyone in terms of figuring out next steps.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much. This was really informative. I'm going to revisit your online workshops and list all the key resources for all the listeners. I really appreciate your time. And why don't you repeat how people can find you, your website, your social media handles, Okay. So you can find me at avoiding
2: mold.com is my website. Um, for the subscription community, you can find it there, but there is a direct website to that, which is called the dwell well Institute. And, um, you can come it's subscription, but you can get in and out as many times as you want. Um, my education's under a tab there. You can find my free stuff at Cheryl. My last name's pronounced Seco. Cheryl Seiko architect. I think if you put in Cheryl architect mold, I will probably be the only one that comes up, Um, but I am on Instagram. I do moisture minutes there frequently and videos um, and post pictures and YouTube. I have a lot of education for free on YouTube and my public Facebook page, which is also Cheryl Seiko architect, my Facebook group that people start out in and oftentimes is avoiding water damage, mold and toxins. And that's on Facebook as well. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I think I really love what you're doing and, um, because I, I can't get into all those weeds, but I know they're so important. So thank you for, for what you're doing and for having me to talk about this topic and good luck with your house and your situation. I'm happy to help.
1: Thank you. I'm sure I'll be in touch. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. For podcast show notes, visit www.ruanliving.com, spelled www.ruanliving.com. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, please like it and share it. Until next time.